again, good morning. We are glad to be, have you with us. If you're visiting with us, my name is Pastor Jeff, and I'm serving as the interim pastor here. And uh, we are really glad to have you with us. Uh, we uh, have been on this study about the journey of God's people through the book of Exodus, and we took some passages from the book of Acts. And for the Advent season, this Christmas season, we're going to be taking a break and we're going to be looking at passages that talk about Jesus coming to earth. And so this morning passage, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask if you'd turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That's what we're going to be looking at. It may be a familiar passage to you, or if you haven't read it before, then it'll be new. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father God, we come to your word, these words before us. Lord God, knowing that they are more than just words on a page for us to read, to study, to take apart, but Father, they are your voice. We hear your voice in your word. And when we hear your voice, we get to know you in a better way. This is not just your voice shouting out to all of creation. It is that. But it's more. It's your voice to each one of us here this morning. It's a word that speaks to the deep parts of our lives, to our very souls and spirits. And it is to bring life. We pray you bring your life to your word, Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to be able to understand in a deeper way who you are. We open ourselves, we surrender ourselves to all that you have. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have the verses up here for you. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This passage has been studied and studied and studied and has been given a, a name, uh, the name that theologians often put to this passage is 
the kenosis passage. That may mean nothing to you. It didn't to me the first time I heard it, but kenosis means this. It very simply means emptying, emptying. And that idea of emptying comes from verse 7. When speaking, when Paul speaking of Paul says this, he made himself nothing. Or if in the King James, he made, made himself of no reputation. Another translation would be this, he, he emptied himself. Now, because of our understanding of, of who Jesus is, beyond, as I prayed, beyond studying this passage, analyzing it, uh, dissecting it, and looking at each word uh, and the Greek form of the word, what we want to do is we want to enter into it. We want to enter into this, this passage and hear the word that God is revealing to us. Brennan Manning was one of my favorite authors and uh, wrote a number of books, one entitled Abba Father, and in it he talks about his relationship of coming to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He talks about he went on this long, I believe it's almost a year, of living in a cave by himself in which he was just, he studying the word of God, spending time with God. And at part of that, he writes this in his diary of his encounter with God. The first part is, is God speaking to him. For love of you, I left my father's side. I came to you who ran from me, who fled from me, who did not want to hear my name. For love of you, I, cover, I was covered with spit, punched and beaten and fixed to a wooden cross. And now, whether I am in a state of grace or disgrace, these words impose themselves with realism and truth to my heart. I heard the cry of his blood. This is not a joke. It is not a laughing matter to me that I loved you. The longer I looked, the more I realized that no man had ever loved me and no woman could ever love me as he loves me. I cried out in the darkness, Jesus, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind to have loved me so much? These words are burned into my life. That night I learned what the wise old man had once told me. Once you come to know the love of Jesus Christ, nothing else in the world will seem as beautiful or desirable. Again, once you come to know the love of Jesus Christ, nothing else in the world will seem as beautiful or as desirable. So this morning, if you've come here and, and, and you have any question in your heart as to whether God loves you, whether you have any value 
in the Father's heart, any worth in the Father's heart, if you're wondering again just how much God loves you, hear these words again. Verses 6 through 8. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be held in his hand? but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So if you do, this morning do not know yet how much God loves you, this week I have been praying, this week I am praying, that God would reveal to us, you would catch a glimpse of the profound love that God has for each one of us in his heart for us, his passion for us, and that he will not settle for anything less than our hearts. When you think about your relationship with God, we, we often think of it in terms of us pursuing God, the ways that we pursue God, we, we pursue God in, in worship, we, we pursue God in prayer, we pursue God in, in, in study, we pursue God in, in serving him and in, in sharing our faith. And yet these verses that I read from Philippians talk about God pursuing us, God running after us. And, and I don't know, but... but I don't even really even feel comfortable with that. That it seems so, so undignified of God, that the Creator of, of heaven and earth, all powerful, all knowing, all present, runs after me. Runs after you. Why would the God of the universe? Come after me. Come after you. And yet he does. Frederick Buechner is a theologian, and he wrote this about Advent, about Christmas, about God coming to earth for us. Once we have seen him, meaning Jesus, once we have seen him in a manger, we can never be sure where we, he will appear or to what lengths he will go or what depths of self-humiliation he will descend to in his wild pursuit of us. More, more than this passage being a foundational Christian theological truth, it is as well a call to us, a call to discipleship. We may be familiar with, with that old saying when we said, I asked Jesus how much he loved me, and he stretched out his arms and died. But that question, how much do you love me, leads us to another question, and it's this. 
Lord God, how much do you want me to love other people? And the answer is the same. I want you to love to the point of reaching out your arms and being willing to die for other people. It may not mean physically dying, but it certainly means swallowing our pride, getting over our embarrassments, our shyness, to love others. Ultimately, this is not just a call to, to worship him. It's not just a call to give, give thanks. It is that. It is not just a, a, a call to, to praise him. But it is a call, it is an invitation to join him in what he is doing. Again, Brennan Manning writes this. He says, sadly, our Christian piety, and, and when he uses the word piety, he's talking about our practical expression of our faith, how we express our faith in our everyday life. He says that sadly, Christian piety down through the centuries has prettified the baby in Bethlehem. Christian art has trivialized the, the divine scandal into gingerbread crushes. Christian worship has sentimentalized the smells of the stable into something more dignified. Imagination and music rob Christmas of its shock value. One saw some Bible scholars reduce the crib to a, a tame theological symbol, but the shipwrecked, meaning us, we are shipwrecked at the stable, tremble in adoration of the Christ child and quake at the breaking of God. Because all the Santa Clauses and red-nosed reindeer and 50-foot trees and thundering church bells put together create less pandemonium than the infant Jesus when instead of remaining a statue in a crib, he comes alive and delivers us over to the fire that he came to light. There are other passages, aside from this passage that I read from Philippians, that, that talk about the, the, the descent of God, the, the coming down of God to you and to me. One of those is, is, is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You have been given the fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And then a familiar passage from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. He has seen we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came down from the Father full of grace. 
So as we said, this has been known as a kenosis passage, this Philippian passage, this passage that describes a, a, an emptying. So what was it that in Christ coming to earth that he emptied himself of in order to come for us? And as we do, as we look at these little phrases here, what I want us to do is understand the movement. The movement is this. It's from here to here. It is a downward movement. Each one moves down further and further and further through the passage. So what was it that, that Jesus emptied himself of? First and foremost, he, he emptied himself of his heavenly glory. Someone wrote, wrote this. Jesus exchanged the worship of angels for the mockery of ignorant men and women. The worship of angels for our mockery of who he is and what he did, what he did for us. He exchanged that for you and for me. Secondly, he emptied himself of all the riches of heaven. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to raise, to lay his head. He emptied himself of everything, anything that he had, he'd borrow, he had borrow. <laughs> How many times do we read in the scripture that, that he went to people's homes to eat? He borrowed their hospitality because he had no home. And so he was dependent on people inviting him to come and to eat and to stay with them. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He borrowed the upper room in which he celebrated the last Passover with his disciples. He borrowed that. And the very tomb that he was laid in after he died was borrowed from someone else. He emptied himself of all the riches of heaven became poor, that you and I would become rich in the grace of God. Next, he, he, uh, he emptied himself of his independent authority. What I mean by that, I think you'll understand when you read this verse. John chapter 5, verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I only judge what I hear. My judgments are just. 
for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. He became subservient to the Father's will, did only what he saw the Father doing, only did what the Father asked him to, to do. Then fourthly, he, 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 he emptied himself of his divine capabilities. And again, I want to explain that. That God is omniscient, that he is, uh, knows all things. And yet Jesus, as he comes to earth, is asked about when all things are going to end. And he says, I don't know. Only my Father in heaven knows. He emptied himself of his omnipresence. In other words, that God is all places everywhere at all the same time. Jesus was limited to a physical body to be in one place at one, one time. He gave up his omnipotence, his, the, the all-powerfulness of God, for he became hungry and thirsty and tired and discouraged. And then this, this descent, this from here to here, goes down even further when we read this in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 2, taking on the very nature of a servant. It would have been one thing for, for Christ to come down in his glory with his army of angels in all powerful, for all people to see. But he says, that he takes on the, the very nature of a, of a slave in humility, in poverty, with a heart to serve others. Without position, without privilege. He says he takes on the very nature of a servant. He doesn't pretend to be a servant for just a little while but he takes on the very nature of who a servant is, of what a servant does, of what a servant possesses. And then the descent, this movement down, moves one more level down to verse 8. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The one who was eternal surrendered his eternality, no longer eternal. He drank in life's most painful experience, death. And not just any death, not just death from old age or death from, from natural causes or disease, but, but the worst possible death that a person could experience completely humiliating. He drank that cup of that kind of death so that you and I would not have to. The descent was complete. And the thing that he came down to, to grasp in dying on the cross 
was put in his hand. C.S. Lewis wrote this story a, a long time ago. It's called the, the Grand Miracle, and he makes, he does this wonderful word picture in it. He says this, talking about Jesus and his descent of coming down for us. He says, one has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, and then flashing for a moment in the air. And then descending down through the green and warm and sunlit water into a pitch black, cold, freezing water. Down into the mud and slime. And then up again. His lungs almost bursting back again into the green and warm and sunlit water and then at last out into the sunshine holding in his hand the dripping thing that he went down to get. This thing is us. Human nature, but associated with it all of nature, all of the universe. That's what he descended down to. He went down into that for you. And he went down into that for me. And if we would just let that into the deep parts of our spirit, I think that the very natural question was the one that Brennan Manning said in the very beginning. He says, how could you love us so much? Why would you love us so much? And the very simple answer that Christ gives back to us is very simply this. It's because of who I am. This is what I do. And I do it for you. And I do it for you. And he does it for me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are already seeing the signs of Christmas. We see the lights, the candles in the windows, the trees, the shoppers, the gifts that appear under the tree, all signs of Christmas. And yet, Far too often we miss the most important sign. The very reason that this is all here. And it's because you, Lord Jesus, dove into the depths of our sin, of our death, to grasp us and to pull us up out of that mud and slime back in through the green and warm sunlit water up out into the sunshine to give us a new life.
And yes, Father, we, the idea of you running after us is so hard for us to even think about or understand, and yet you have pursued us, and you are even still pursuing us this morning. Pursuing the things that we hold in our hands and asking us to empty our hands of these things that we might receive your life. We pray, Father, that through this entire Advent season, these remaining weeks leading up to Christmas Day, that we would be ever mindful of your pursuit of us, your passion for us, your love for us, the depths to which Jesus went to come and get us. And that we would not only be grateful, not only worship you, not only praise you, but join you in this kingdom work that those who have yet to know Jesus Christ might soon one day call him Lord and Savior. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.